0: Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson in D.C., and today, Feminist Next Door, or M, returns, and we're going full feminist. I always enjoy talking with her. She's so insightful. We're 20 years apart in age, but I love getting her perspective. Now, before we get into our full feminist conversation, I first want to thank my new patrons, because We have finally gone over a hundred patrons. Woohoo. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And then of course, I just want to remind listeners that start me up is a patron supported podcast. And I rely on listeners like you who listen to the free show to help keep us going. I'm not backed by any corporation. And right now I'm not using advertisers, which means no commercial interruptions. So you can support the show for if, you know, if you just do it for a dollar a month, then each new podcast is delivered to your email box. If you go for $5 a month, you get access to at least two End Another Thing segments per month. That's where co-host and I, you know, we just keep talking when the free show is over. Sometimes we talk about very personal things. Sometimes we get crude. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes we tear up. But it's, it's always an interesting time. It's always fun. And I hope that you'll consider becoming a patron really for any dollar amount. You don't have to stick to the tier amounts you could do $3, you could do $7, you could do $10, whatever you want to do. Just visit patreon.com startmeup start me up and just support the show for any dollar amount. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher or any place that podcasts can be found. And if you've got a minute, could you please give us a good review on iTunes? I'd really appreciate it. Um, now I'm going to be doing and another thing a little later this month, there's going to be at least two. Um, and Stephanie is going to be doing one with me. And I just wanted to make an announcement about Stephanie. Uh, we'll talk about this the next time she's on the show, but she's no longer like a permanent co-host because she's running for city council in Oakland and she's got a job and she's got a family. So she can't dedicate absolutely to shows per month. She's going to be coming back all the time though. It's not like she's going really anywhere. It's just that right now she can't juggle everything. She just can't do it. And so, um, we're going to support her for city council. And thank you to, oh my God, so many of you guys have supported her campaign. I'm going to keep, I'm going to put her link um, in the text of the Patreon uh, description. So you can, if you want to donate some money to her, that would be great. Um, and she, of course, thanks you. But you know, I mean, she just doesn't have the time. So it's me and I'm going to be doing this, and I've got a whole bunch of people that I can do, sh- you know, the the co-host shows with. So Steph will be a part of it, and of course we've got Sarah Wood and Lorraine Devin Wilkie, and occasionally Amanda Sowards, and then a few other extras in there that I can throw around, as well as you know different guests that I'm going to interview. But I don't like to put those guests behind a paywall because a lot of times, like I'm going to be interviewing a judge, a female judge on the 16th of October, and. I decided that... um, Actually, I was approached by somebody asking me if I interview candidates, which I said occasionally, because I don't do it all the time. Um, When I found out it was a female judge, it was like, hell yeah, because we need more women in the judiciary. We need more um, people of color. And so we just basically need a more diverse judiciary as well as a diverse legislature. So um, absolutely, I'm going to be interviewing... A woman who's running, and I think the election is coming up in November, so we're going to talk to her on the 16th. But I don't want to put something behind a paywall with her. You know, I want the whole. You know, I want anybody who can hear it to hear it. So there you go. Um, let's see. Is there anything else? I think that's it. So now let's just let's just start the full feminist show. Welcome, M. Hi. I should actually say welcome back because you're kind of a regular. Thank you. It's good to be here. Can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. I was just I was just playing around with your sound so that everyone could hear. But yeah, I can hear you. Um, I'm excited as usual to talk to you because I love I love your perspective. Um, I think you're interesting and funny, and I have a whole bunch of things that I want to talk to you about. We did put out a, a call on Twitter for some subjects, but I have two that I personally want to get to, and I just want to jump right in. Um, okay. So. Let's go with, uh, we're not going to talk about Ukraine or, or the crazy fucking president or anything like that, but um, I do want to talk about the Democratic candidates because it seems like there's some shifts going on. And uh, yesterday we found out that Bernie had some procedure done where he had two stents um, put in. He had some blockage in his, what was it, his arteries. Uh, so it was like, yeah. so some people say it was a heart attack and, and some argue that it wasn't, but um he's off the campaign trail for a while now. And I believe, you know, there, there are two theories that I've been seeing a he's like the energizer bunny and he's going to come back. B, this is it. He, he did cut some funding. He cut ad funding in Iowa. So I want to know, what do you think? Do you think he's done? Do you think he's coming back? What do you think?
1: I don't think he's done. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, if, if Bernie has shown us anything, it's that he, uh, he doesn't cut out early. Yeah. So, uh, I think as long as his health is manageable, Mm -hmm. he will stay in. And, um, you know, whether or not Bernie is my candidate, I certainly hope that he's healthy and doing well. And I, I think, I think from what we've seen from Senator Sanders, he will stay in as long as he can, or as long as he feels, you know, capable of managing it. But, but, um, if he ultimately doesn't feel healthy, then, you
0: know, we'll right. see where
1: it goes from there. But right now, the messaging that I've seen is that he is enthusiastic about coming back. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I think he probably will. I, I, I don't know um, what his chances are, if this is going to hurt him in the bigger picture. I mean, obviously, his supporters are fiercely loyal, so he's not going to lose any supporters. But, you know, I, I just wonder if there's like the on the fencer people. They're not sure if they want to vote for him. Would, would this tip them on the other side? I don't know. Um but I, I do have to point out, OK, he fell in the shower a couple of months back. Uh, he came to the second debate, which I'm not even criticizing this, but like he came, he you know, he's clearly he had a hoarse voice. And uh-huh. then um, now he's got this issue with the stents. If this were Hillary Clinton or Elizabeth Warren, they would have her on the, the deathbed, you know, uh-huh. and it's like so. I mean, I'm not I don't want to take away from the fact that he's got these issues, uh, or belittle them or anything, but it's like nobody's fucking saying that he's dead. Nobody's acting like he's going to die tomorrow. But right. but boy, uh, you know when Hillary had well, I think it was walking pneumonia when she mm-hmm. went to that nine eleven tribute, and then she kind of like passed out for a second, and they caught her. I mean that the way that they were talking about her, I mean they were digging her grave, and it's 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 just such bullshit. How. Um, how our country just, I mean, it's not just our country, but, you know, I mean, in our country, we do tend to give men the benefit of the doubt and the women never, never, ever. <laughs> so it's very yeah, frustrating. Well,
1: I, th- I think that there is there is certainly a, a very clear and palatable distinction that can be drawn there mm-hmm. between, you know, the ways <clears throat> that Hillary Clinton was attacked uh, for her, you know, what people perceive to be, Failing health, um, and and the faith that people are willing to put into other, you know, male politicians, and that's not just Bernie. You know, mm-hmm. that's lots of other yeah. male politicians as well. I think it, it's fairly well known that historically we've had a number of presidents who were in, you know, extremely poor health. Yeah. For, uh, you know, whether just physically, or you know, there are questions as, as to some whether their mental capacity was was fa- fading mm-hmm. toward the end of their presidency. So um, <clears throat> I, I found that um, I am less, and I, I think this is kind of what you're saying too, I don't have um, a desire to question whether someone like Senator Sanders or, or you know, Joe Biden, for example, um, is healthy enough to be president because I find um, objections about physical health to be almost universally in bad faith. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So I don't really have, uh, you know, a desire to go there. But I think that the distinction in terms of the willingness to question the the physical Mm -hmm. health of female candidates is material. And we have seen that, too, um, with Senator Warren. Um, Just uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago I had posted – a quote from her interview with Rachel Maddow where she talked about how she had spent four hours after her rally in Washington Square Park taking mm. photos and um someone commented this is you know not a good use of her time it's a waste of her energy it's going to wear her down and and I sort of you know I just replied like look at, I have faith based on <laughs> uh, all of, of Senator Warren's experiences that she can manage her, her time and energy pretty well. I feel, I feel confident in her ability to know if she needs to go lay down. Um, and so <laughs> I found the, I found the question or the, the uh, assertion just really strange. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Re- Rebecca Tracer talks about that a little bit in her book too, how, you know, folks have a tendency to say, like, "Oh, you know, don't get yourself worked up, little lady. Like, it, it'll, yeah. <laughs> it'll hurt your health. You know, you'll you can't you can't be angry or you can't be passionate because, like, it's not good for you. Like, you know, it'll it'll make you ill." Right. Um, is is truly a a very very old and um, still perba- pervasive technique in terms of sort of benign or benevolent sexual. I, benign is the wrong word, benevolent sex, sexism is the, the word I'm
0: looking for, mm. where it's like,
1: oh, I, I just want you to be okay. Yeah, right? like, it's I, out of I concern. I want to make sure you're all
0: right. It's like the concern trolls. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what do you think is happening with, with Warren? I mean, I'm, obviously she's surging, um, mm-hmm. but she's still got, she still has to win over the African-American community. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's hard to tell. I can't tell what's going to happen. I, I mean, I have faith in her. Um, mm-hmm. But I also see that there's some resistance. You know, there there are some people, it doesn't matter what color they are, they're just like, we used to be a Republican. And they're holding that against her. And I feel, mm-hmm. I feel that that's kind of naive. Because I mean, actually, I was a registered Republican when I mean, I'm not Elizabeth Warren. And obviously, I think Elizabeth Warren is smarter than I am. Uh, I, I don't mean to say that, that I think I'm stupid. But I mean, she's, she's accomplished so much more than I have. If you're going to be president, I want uh, I want the president to be smarter than I am, and I believe she is, and so, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, she came from a red state, and it was just kind of like she was young, and she was registered as a Republican, and that's pretty much, you know, she just went along with things, and then when, when I don't remember, I, can't, I don't, maybe you remember when she figured out that she was a Democrat, but it was when really she started paying attention to politics, for real, mm-hmm. and she's like, oh, okay, well, that, that, that's not who I am, I'm a Democrat, and so, um the people that are holding on to that and saying, you know, you were a Democrat as if it was like – as if she's still – I mean, I'm sorry, a Republican – as if she's still like a secret Republican is uh-huh. it's just so lame. I don't get it. But, I mean, she's going to have to win over, uh, you know, certain groups of people that maybe don't know enough about her or they're not fully – um, willing to give their trust because so much of that support is going to Biden right now. So can, do you mm-hmm. have any thoughts on like, do you think it's going to switch over? Do, what do you think is going to happen with Biden? What do you, or do you think Warren's just going to continue to surge?
1: Well, I think that the, I mean, the, the answer to your final question, do I think that she'll continue to do well? I think unless she, you know, makes some material error, I suspect that she will continue to do well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's done a great job recently. I do think that a lot of things that, you know, objections to other, she's played it really safe in terms of, um, she just hasn't had any major hiccups, um, in the past couple of months. So, you know, you see other candidates having hiccups here and there, um, you know, iffy or inconsistent debate performances, Mm -hmm. that kind of a thing. And she just hasn't, hasn't come up against any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't think that her message has changed. I just think that as she's gotten more visibility and has had no hiccups, um, that has increased her popularity, which is, you know, the way it should be. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's good that that if, if she were getting support based on some specific event or some gimmick or whatever, I would be concerned that it wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I do want to comment on the on the Repu- the former Republican thing, because um i share your view in a lot of ways and and was a lot more committed to that view a few months ago um and i kind of felt like well aren't people allowed to evolve and surely we can understand that there are a lot of people in the country right now who in in 2015 were not particularly polit- politically engaged and now um they are and and can't we understand that that people change, change their minds once they become more involved. Mm -hmm. And I still think all of that is true. Um, But the one, the one objection that I heard, especially from folks of color who were, who were commenting on my page that really made me kind of stop and think Mm -hmm. is um, the criticism that there is a little bit of, you know, privilege of indifference when Mm -hmm. it comes to the ability to say I was mostly apolitical I thought I was a Republican, um, and it, it's it's just sort of the ability to not really be involved in politics because it doesn't affect your life all mm-hmm. that much. Yeah. Um, and if you if you know that someone is capable if they live in in a in a portion of society that's capable of living in that space, can you trust them to care about the issues that affect you mm-hmm. at the same level that that you do? And I think that that's a really fair question to yeah, ask. Me
0: too, actually.
1: Um, because in the same way that I am skeptical of male politicians at this point, because they have just let us down and let us down and let us down, it makes sense to me that certainly somebody who's of Native origin, certainly, you know, anyone who felt like, look, my family was doing really poorly in the seventies and eighties, and we didn't have the the option to not be engaged in in what politicians were doing Mm -hmm. and i can understand um how that would be how that would make you trepidatious about Mm -hmm. someone and so while i personally think that evolution is possible and real and i think that she has undergone it um you know her her misstep with the um with the native heritage is was not a good look for her in terms of showing those people that Mm -hmm. she
0: understood right
1: and so i think her challenge is going to be showing you know communities of color that she's not only is she listening and building policies now because she's running for president but she's building these policies because she understands that it matters to them um, and and she's able to connect with them in the same way that that i feel connected to her and Mm. I think she's capable of doing that. I do find her to be genuine, but this is a this is a situation where I my view is is always going to be limited in terms of her mm-hmm. effectiveness there because I am not a member of a community of color. So I think in order to kind of get over that final hump, she's going to have to earn the trust of those voters. And I yeah. think she has a little bit of work to do there.
0: Totally agree. You know, and when I said she's smarter than me, I think I, I, I meant that in that she understood what Republican meant and I didn't. I I wish that I had a better education. I really did not understand the difference of Democrats and Republicans. And so when I registered to vote, at least I did that, I just chose one. It wasn't even about identifying with a Republican. I didn't even really understand what it meant. And so um, I was naive. I wasn't paying attention. And unfortunately, the schools that I, I've said this a couple of times on my podcast, um, but you know, I went for the most part. You know, I, I lived in Maryland until I was eight, and then I went to California, uh, and I was there pretty much for the duration of my school years, with the exception of I lived in Maryland again briefly. Um, during sixth grade year, and then I went to Russia, and I studied in Russia. And um, well, I studied at Anglo American School in Russia. And both of uh, the schools that I went to in Maryland and in Russia were better than California public school system. Uh, uh-huh. There were no political science classes that I ever took in California. Ever, I do remember there was a political science class in my sixth grade, but. I don't really remember what we learned. And then in Russia, we weren't necessarily focused on government uh, as far as how government functions as much as, you know, at the time there were, uh, I'm trying to think, Carter was, well, Carter was the president. And then while I was there, Reagan won. Um, So we did talk about the hostages, the hostage situation. And um, we talked about current events, but I didn't learn government, you know, and I, I believe With all my heart, if I would have learned when I was young, A, about suffragists, and B, uh, that the Senate votes on who's going to be in the Supreme Court, I think those two things would have pulled me into politics at a much younger age. But because Uh I simply just was not exposed, and I didn't have engaging, so uh, so much of the time I didn't have engaging teachers, or at least teachers who didn't care so much, it just really went over my head, so for me, it's not even about an evolution. I've always been liberal minded. Uh, I've always been, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be raised by parents who, especially my mother, who absolutely would not accept any kind of racist, uh, commentary. You know, there were people in my life who used the N word and my mom immediately was like, no, you can't say that around me. That's offensive. And I do not accept it. And so I was, I learned through her, um, you know, to, be tolerant. Plus I lived in Los Angeles, California, which is so diverse. And it was just my experience where like my friends were from, you know, I mean, growing up, I had friends from all over the world, especially living in Russia. So, uh, I don't want to like pat myself on the back. I just want to say that my experience has been, you know, fairly diverse with people that I've known. Plus I was an actor. So, you know, it's like, I mean, there people, when, when you, when you study acting, when you're in, in, in that kind of world, uh, you know, like for instance in my in my acting class, one of the things that we had to do was called outrageous. So the goal was that you had to go in front of everybody and do something so outrageous and so um whether it was disgusting or whatever it was until the is, audi-
1: is Donald Trump in your acting
0: class or? <laughs> <laughs> just that just him alone that's enough but <laughs> but the class would all have the time. <laughs> yeah the class would have to vote okay now you've grossed me out or now you, you've just gone too far um mm, okay. so so in order to you know I mean the, I chose to do something that was extremely outrageous and embarrassing for me to do and um but that was the idea is like you were accepted you, there was nothing too embarrassing. You couldn't embarrass yourself because we all accepted each other. And so I, I come from that. So it's I'm like,
1: now more convinced that Donald Trump is an
0: <laughs> <just like laughs> So, I mean, I can't speak for Liz Warren and, and why she, you know, I mean, it, it appears that she, it appears to me and, and I totally agree with everything you say. But I think what was going on with her was she was just kind of going along you know? And yeah, you're right. She had that privilege to just go along. And, and so, um, you're, you're absolutely right too, that she's got work to do. And I, you know, I believe that she's sincere. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, I guess we're just going to have to find out where, where all of this goes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: and, And I think it's important too, to say that it's, it's possible for someone who has the opportunity to live indifferent to politics to be sincere in the way that they care about, you know, communities that they're not a member of. Mm-hmm. I think that we have had lots of representatives over time that, you know, for instance, were either in our in our cases, white women, you know, men, white males specifically, you know, who have done important things for women um, and, and truly did care about mm-hmm. doing the right thing. So I think it's possible to be sincere. Um, I, for me, I get the sense that she is, but it's not really, you know, for you or I to, to make the call ultimately, yeah. because she does need to, to convince those communities. And yeah. and so, um, <clears throat> I, I am hopeful that she will continue doing the outreach that she's doing. Um, the only thing I guess maybe I would like to see a little bit more from her is just a, an acknowledgement of that. And I, yeah. I understand the the tricky position she's mm-hmm. in because, you know, anytime you sort of raise on your own an objection <laughs> that people are making, you open yourself up maybe to more yeah. criticism than you would get if uh, you didn't raise it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, in this particular instance, I think it's important for her to raise the issue because, you know, communities who are at this point maybe not sold are saying it's not really my responsibility to ask you how you, you know, to, to to prove it to me. I I want you to be motivated to convince me that, that you care. So, um, I think she's got a lot of time Mm -hmm. to do that. And I I genuinely hope that we see more of that from her. Um, I think a lot of the things that she, a lot of the policies that she has put out are, um, extremely, I, I think one of her, um, one of the benefits of Elizabeth Warren's campaign is that she is very transparent. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she puts her policies in full online. She um, is willing to do town hall after town hall, after town hall with uncensored questions and real constituents. And I think she's just going to need to keep doing that and do more of it probably um, in the South, honestly. Absolutely. Yeah, um,
0: absolutely. Um, Okay. So there's a bunch of questions that we're never going to be able to get to. Um, but somebody brought up the myth of toxic toxic femininity. And <laughs> I thought you would be the perfect person to discuss this with because I'm going to be honest and say I, I don't know much about, I mean, I've seen that term thrown around. I've seen it used in defense of when toxic uh, masculinity is brought up. And so I, you know, I wanted to talk about that with you because I want to learn some things. But I just want to preface it with the idea of often I see men getting really, really defensive at that term toxic masculinity as if somehow women are, are accusing them of something, but it's really patriarchy determining that they have to behave a certain way or they're not real men. And so, um, so then what happens is, you know, and, and it's like, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure that you, well, I'm not going to assume to know what you think, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you feel the same way. It's like, no matter who you are, you should be able to express yourself. And live the kind of life that you want. If you want to wear a man bun, as they call them, which are just buns, uh, you should be able to do (laughs) that. Bun on a man. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) bun on a man. Um, Without ridicule, you should be able to feel comfortable walking down the street dressed the way you want. You should be able to have friends and not be criticized for it. You know, have or cry or whatever it is. Whatever it is. You should just be able to live your life and have fun. It doesn't mean people aren't going to have judgments because of course we're all going to judge each other. That's what human beings do. But there's Uh a difference between like judging and then like attacking, you know? So, so as far as toxic femininity, what would you say, what do you, how would you define that? Not that it, like, I don't believe in it. I don't believe that Uh it's a real thing, but like, how is it defined? Okay, so
1: um, this is actually something that comes up a lot um, on my timeline. I'm and, sure it does. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I 100% stand by my assertion that toxic femininity does not exist. Yeah. Um, it is not a thing. Um, and let me explain what I mean by that. So I think the way that you characterized um, how it's raised is accurate. Um, it's usually... Um, sort of a defensive response, mm-hmm. um, and it's not a response that I that I don't uh, understand. Like I I I understand why um, it's a natural inclination. I understand what things people think of when they say, but isn't this, you know, isn't this thing toxic femininity or couldn't you say that this is toxic femininity? So I don't think it's like an unreasonable thing to, to assert or to think about, but, um, let me explain why I would say it doesn't exist. So, um, first of all, masculinity, as you, um, accurately said is not the same thing as men. Right. So, um, Man and masculinity are two separate things. Um, you know, a man is a human being. Masculinity is a set of norms mm-hmm. that have been put forth uh, that society accepts as being typically associated with people who are male. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, toxic masculinity does not mean that masculinity is toxic. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what it means is that, um, So so, you know, man does not equal masculinity and toxic masculinity does not equal masculinity is toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, so toxic masculinity is is referring to um, select tra- select traits that are associated with masculinity that when you exercise those traits in extremes can become harmful either mm-hmm. to the person who's exercising the traits themselves or to the people around them. And the reason that we see this happening is because gender norms are a way for society to impart value on someone so you you hear the term like i'm a manly man Mm -hmm. and when someone says that what they're saying is like i have value like extreme value as a man like because i'm very manly Mm -hmm. right (laughs) and so um and maybe you know you might a woman might say like i'm a you know i'm a i'm a feminine woman. I, I brace my feminine wiles or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, there is an emphasis that the better you conform to a gender norm, mm-hmm. the higher value you have. So when that's the case and some of the traits that are associated with your gender norm can be harmful and extremes, what happens is in an, in an increased desire to be perceived, as a high-value male, you start pushing these traits uh, further and further along the spectrum, and as that becomes normalized, um, the expectation of what is masculine can become toxic in mm-hmm. some ways. So, some examples of that would be hyper-aggression, uh, homophobia, misogyny, um, stoicism, which is essentially you know not showing your emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, unwillingness to ask for assistance, you know <laughs> as as being indicative of independence, um, competition, uh, extreme competition, bordering on, you know, maladaptive behavior in, in relation to other people. So those are all examples of of traditional gendered traits. So you know, competitiveness, um, you know leadership, stoicism, aggressive nature, Mm-hmm. Um, that, in you know, moderation, okay, fine. Um, I, I genu- generally I think that gender norms in in general are sort of a bunch of bullshit, mm-hmm. but um, I don't have an issue with people who feel comfortable, you know, living living in that realm and mar- marrying themselves to it as long as they're not taking it into extremes. And so there's the element of toxic masculinity that is pushing certain traits further and further down the spectrum the other side of it is rejecting traits that are not masculine so that's where your homophobia and your misogyny Mm -hmm. come in because as you know we have well seen you know somebody's a pussy they're a little bitch Mm -hmm. you know they're they are admon if you're a male you are admonished for demonstrating feminine traits um and what that is is it's a reaction to people who are not conforming to the norm of masculinity and it is in some ways um you know a, a dem- diminution of feminine traits
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i think it's a, a combination of those things um and you know of course with homophobia it's you know why are you attracted to other men you're a man you're supposed to be attracted to women um so that's sort of the other side of toxic ma- masculinity which is rejection of things that are that are considered feminine um, so, with all that said, we're working within a realm of defining masculinity by a set of traits that are generally accepted as masculine. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, for instance, Google gendered traits, like honestly, sometimes I have a hard time myself setting boundaries around what these these traits are, and it can be useful to to just sort of pull up a list that's been developed by sociologists or um, psychologists. Uh, if you go to my timeline uh, and you, or if you search you know, my Twitter handle with Toxic Masculinity, you will find numerous uh, different tables that I have posted over time. Um, but I think we can all accept that there are sets of gendered traits that yeah. are associated with masculinity and femininity. And if you look at the set of traits that is associated with femininity, there are not traits um, that are considered feminine that when taken to extremes become harmful to the individual or to other people unless someone else participates and that is the distinction so with, ma- with toxic masculinity if i'm hyper aggressive i'm hyper aggressive no matter what the people around me are doing mm-hmm. i'm, I'm hyper competitive i can be misogynistic or homophobic regardless of what anyone else does it is just me exercising those traits if i am hyper feminine so I'm extremely docile. I'm very cooperative. I am, you know, very focused on uh, meeting uh, meeting certain uh, gender norms in terms of caretaking or deference.
0: Um, People pleasing.
1: Yep. I may ultimately get walked all over. Mm-hmm. I might get abused. I might uh, I might be made to feel. Increasingly less valuable if I'm not meeting these norms. But all of those things involve someone else's action.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so they're not inherent in uh the pursuit of, of feminine norms. Like if I was extremely deferential and docile and no one ever tried to beat me up, I would be fine. <laughs> I wouldn't be harmed and no one else yeah. would be harmed. So in terms of the way we have defined toxic masculinity as a social phenomenon, not as a characterization of, of masculinity, Mm -hmm. um, there is not a comparable mechanism in in terms of toxic femininity. And, you know, other things to keep in mind is the major reason for that is because gender norms were created to, to continue the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. So feminine, gender norms are intended to be non-threatening. They are intended to be, um, you know, deferential to masculine uh, norms. They're intended to be um, non-leadership oriented and that do not cause harm. So, um, you know, that's intentional. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that um, women are better people, um, that they are just nicer or not prone to being nasty, because that's not true. Um, It's to say that these specific norms, as they were constructed, were constructed for the purpose of not allowing femininity to become toxic.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And so I think that's where people get a little bit hung up, because they say, well, but I know, you know, some mean and nasty women, or I've been treated worse from women than men, or, you know, whatever their personal life experience is. And that can all be true
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, without toxic femininity being real, because women can be toxic human beings without having femininity be toxic, right. and 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 they are sometimes. Yeah. times. So, um, I think it's it's not always an easy concept um, to explain to people. It does get a little bit academic, um, but it, the, making the distinction is important to me because if you say yes, toxic femininity exists, you are misconstruing the definition of toxic masculinity. And if you do that, you are not addressing the issue anymore.
0: Right. Um, Yeah. And the thing about... that's why it's
1: important to me anyway.
0: The thing about it is it's like when you say the term toxic femininity, it's like, Uh so, okay, so that means you're going to be so people pleasing that you're going to be toxic, it means that you're going to be so deferential that you're going to be toxic. It's like, so Uh what, what, what these, what these meanings of feminine, you know, when you say what the, what the characteristics of what being feminine is, then it would be taking that to the extreme. Uh So, and then if that's the truth, then it is, it's true. It's like only toxic to the person who's doing it. And it doesn't even make any sense anyway. And I, and I think what, when when the term toxic femininity is thrown around, like you, like we were saying, it's a defensive posture when toxic masculinity is brought up in a way to uh, berate women who are calling out the patriarchy. So you're being, you're like, I think they're looking at it as feminist as, as opposed to femininity. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, The
1: number of people who say toxic femininity is very real. And I'm like, I don't know if you're trying to do a pun. Or if you actually don't realize that you're you're switching the word femininity and feminist because right. they are, they yeah. are materially different things.
0: Absolutely, um, yeah.
1: It, it's very common though that people will say, "Oh well, toxic femininity" is, or, or, or "toxic feminism" is very real, and yeah. I'm sort of like, well. I mean, sure, but that's not what we're
0: talking about. Exactly. Well, I mean, and in that case, I mean, sure, you know, there are feminists out there who I completely disagree with, and I think they're wrong about Mm -hmm. certain issues. But I'm, you know, I'm also of the mind that like, we can all have our different thoughts and some of them are damaging, some of them aren't, but... Um, you know there's 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 the kind of feminist I'm not I'm not saying these people are wrong but like there's the kind of feminist who doesn't want to wear makeup and shave their legs and it's like go for it I, it doesn't bother me at all I don't uh-huh. care if somebody wants to wear makeup or not wear makeup that the whole idea to me of feminism is do what you want you know uh-huh. you get to live the way you want to live and nobody tells you um, how you should live or judge you and that brings me to my very favorite uh <laughs> They're not really my favorite, but uh, it's chicks on the right. I think I brought them up to you before, but, yes. you know, so
1: okay, okay. I'm a source material for them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um,
0: not surprising at all. And so not long ago, they did a podcast call, called uh, Where Have All the Real Men Gone? Oh, and yeah. so they, they had the hash to bring dudes back. And I listened to about 15 minutes of it before I hurled. And um, <laughs> they okay, so basically, they said it's as far as as like you and I are concerned, we're, we're basically saying it's not okay for men to be dudes anymore, that there's a short of shortage. And um, so they said something like, they want a guy who will cry, who acts like a girl. And it's like okay, uh-huh. I turned it off. And I mean, they had the they had the men who wear bun thing, and it was like, oh my god. And and one of them had said something like, "There's nothing that turns me on more than seeing my husband under a car." Okay. <laughs> this is like okay, 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 fine. Like get out more. Yeah, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I like I listened to this, and 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 it's so sad to me because you know, there's also this woman. I don't know. Oh God, no. Uh, some. Do you know Christine Hoff Summers?
1: Yes.
0: <sighs> I really don't like her. She, she, I think she calls herself like the factual feminist or something like that. And then she she almost sounds reasonable, um, uh-huh. but she's really anti-feminist. And she puts down the Me Too movement and it's like, oh, these poor evil feminists are, you know, screaming at men and emasculating them and making them feel like they don't have a place in the world anymore. And so she's really an anti-feminist who calls herself a feminist. And it,
1: Well, yeah, she, she's part of a school... <clears throat> of of men and women who uh perpetuate the idea that like well i was fine with first wave
0: feminism
1: yeah. but now things have really gotten right hand and and you're sort of like uh okay can you <laughs> like i'm not sure that you can even necessarily articulate what you mean by that but um in her case uh, she is a, a very articulate person she is. um and and really i think it has to do with Um, the difference between a person who says, um, you know, if you, if you're going to try to put other people down to get to your goals, like they're never going to listen to you. And so you're actually hurting your own movement by Mm -hmm. doing that. Like that's, um, a perspective we hear all the time in politics, um, you know, in social movements where people say, well, if you're going to yell at me, then I don't want to listen. And, you know, my response to that is kind of like, fuck you. Um, (laughs) because, why, why shouldn't I be yelling? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, when you consider that one in five women are raped, that at best, um, that the, the most well-situated women are making, you know, 79 cents on the dollar, you know, Hispanic women are making 53 cents to the mm-hmm. dollar. Um, so how do you, how do you justify saying like, well, could you just right. be nicer about asking for these things? Like we've been asking for this shit for millennia. Yeah. It's not working. um, right. So I think that she takes this perspective, at least um, in terms of why she considers herself or why she feels willing to call herself a feminist, um, is that she's taking the perspective of we can elevate women without um, taking away from men the things that they want. And um, I'm not sure that that message is genuine. Not because I have a desire to uh, de-elevate men or to take away things that they want, but because when there are people who have privilege over other people, um, and you are trying to bring parity between two different groups, one of whom has um, a privilege over the other, there are necessarily going to be mm-hmm. things that they will no longer have. Um, and to say that they should be able to continue doing those things um, is to say that they should be able to continue harming you. Mm-hmm. So um, to me, I don't understand that perspective as one that is genuinely feminist. I think it's a lot of lip service to like, well, I'm totally fine with equality. I feel equal, and it's like, okay, well, that's great. Um, you know, you and Elizabeth weren't in the '70s, right? Okay, <laughs> <Like> I, <laughs> I uh, you know, I I don't see how that's a palatable answer for anybody who digs deeper than surface level.
0: Yeah, and this whole this whole thing about I feel equal, it's like great for you. But, you know, go talk to people who are making, like you were saying, 53 cents on the dollar or, you know, there, there are so many instances where, you know, I mean, the, there's this common argument whenever I'm talking about the Equal Rights Amendment and it's like, well, what rights do men have that women don't? Well, it's not like it's not like women can't go get a job back in the seventies. They couldn't even apply for a credit card. And of course they can now and women can be CEOs and women can have all kinds of power, but it, it it's broken down into, it's basically about gender discrimination. There's gender uh-huh. discrimination. And so, you know, you, it's just like with racial discrimination. Sure. We have, which has been gutted, but the civil rights act, but it certainly hasn't uh, protected people of color, from discrimination. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we've got the discrimination and sure a woman has the right to go get a job, but she can be discriminated once against once she has that job. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, you know, trying to get nuance in, in a conversation, especially on social media is almost fruitless, but I mean, it's, it's worth the time to do it. But at the same time, it's like people unfortunately get stuck on this one word or this one concept and they won't, they won't leave. And so it's so incredibly frustrating. At least I can say this, you know, I wanted to also talk to you about, and this just brings me into this, um, in the era of of Trumpism, um, definitely women's women's rights have taken a hit in many ways. Whether, you know, whether I mean there was an article that I put out today that the Trump administration feels that it's okay that uh companies should force women to wear skirts. And I remember when I got into the workforce back when I was very young, like twenty 20 years old the I I worked for it was called the Broadway which is now Macy's and we women had to wear skirts we weren't allowed to wear pants and I mean at the time I didn't like it I was pissed off because I like I I like to wear both but I didn't like the idea that I was forced to just only wear a skirt which also meant I had to wear pantyhose because that was another rule that you couldn't Mm -hmm. you couldn't wear a skirt without pantyhose and so um now they want to bring that back. And, and, and the weird way that they're doing it is they're basically saying, uh, well, we can get away with this when, when we do the parallel with men, except that men don't wear skirts. So it's like, let me see if I can find, uh, let me see if I can like, find.
1: Well, men are required to wear pants, so. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's on. exactly. They're I, required I mean, to wear pants, like- so
0: you have to wear a skirt. And you don't even get a choice. And where, I, I'm trying to find the... Uh, here it is. I was just looking at the Jacob Wall thing that Elizabeth Warren had sex with a 24-year-old Marine, which I think is funny. Okay, going back to it. Uh, so it says, employers can force women to conform to, sexual, uh, to sex stereotypes so long as they also for, force men to conform to parallel s- sex. So there you go. So it's like under this logic, um, an employer is off the hook for forcing women to wear skirts so long as it prohibits men from doing so.
1: <laughs> yeah, so see, men can't wear skirts. I think there's a lot of issues for me there. I mean, the, the reality is there are some workplaces that have uh, gendered, you know, I guess you could say uniform requirements. Yeah. Um, and in past jurisprudence, you know, the courts have basically said that, you know, you can require a certain uniform, and, and a lot of these things have been relative to things like, you know, a, a Hooters, for example. Right. Um, or, uh, the, the other one that's like lumberjacks, I forget what it's called. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> twin peaks. Uh, oh, okay. It's like very, very creative. Um, <laughs> really? so, uh, it's essentially what they're saying is that, you know, this uniform is part of the, part of the brand, part of the, um, the product, uh, marketing and sale of, of this particular company. Um, and so it is sort of inextricably, inextricably entwined with what the brand is so that, um, it serves a business purpose. Yeah. Right. And this is also true, for instance, of a, a construction site where you have to wear steel toe boots yeah. or, you know, whatever it, weird comparison. But the idea is like, this is a necessity in order to, uh, perform the business as it's been conceived.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so the, you know the question there is whether the business as it's been conceived is problematic. Um, so not so much the the uniform requirements. Once you accept that the the requirements are are part of the business model, so in that instance, um, you know it's not it's not great to to think about, but it makes sense from a legal perspective. Um, you know, but when you're talking about something like Women wearing skirts, like you know, in an office setting or whatever, to me, like there is no business purpose for that. No. So, it feels arbitrary. Um, it feels uh, un- It's it's unnecessarily. Gen- it's a policy that is being put forth on the basis of gender w- that serves no articulable purpose. Um, it's other a control than issue to what continue gender norms to to. Uh, give men an opportunity to look at women's legs. And I don't know. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, well, it's a control you even... thing. You have to wear a skirt because I say so. And, right. You know, so and it, it, I, I yeah. don't
1: see how that would ever hold up, on, you know, based on where jurisprudence lies on that issue right now. But yeah. that's true of so many things that the Trump administration does. So,
0: Well, and so now what I'm curious about is obviously, like I said, there's all these kind of either rollbacks or new rules or, you know, getting rid of things that Obama did that protected women – um so definitely there are negatives. But do you believe that be, you know, I mean, I would have preferred Hillary Clinton was the president of the United States. Uh definitely work still needed to be done, we still need the Equal Rights Amendment, blah, 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 blah. But uh we don't have her, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the person who believes when you burn it all to the down to the ground, boom, you get progressivism. No. But there's gotta be some kind of silver lining um to this misogynistic administration and i'm and and i mean i think i've seen some positive things come from it and and i'm just curious to know if you if you feel that way and if so what do you believe has at least been a positive from this fucking nightmare we're living
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i think that um i agree with you it's very hard for me to say um Something you know along the lines of well, but the good po- you know the the benefit to all of this is X, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I think there have been so many incredibly detrimental effects and mm-hmm. effects that it will continue for you know decades into the future that I don't think there's a trade-off that exists that I would have taken, mm-hmm. you know, right? Um, in neither. terms of what benefits have come out of it, but um, I do think that in a lot of ways this administration has pulled back the curtain on some. Mm-hmm. Uh, social issues that, in a lot of ways, have been gaslit as non existent or mm-hmm. not problematic, uh, when in reality, they very much are. And the Trump administration, you know, sometimes seemingly intentionally to the point of parody, um, is a mirror uh, reflecting some of the worst parts of our society in terms of the way we treat people. Um, And so has there always been sexism and racism and xenophobia and homophobia um, in our politics? Yes, that's true of Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. Um, Have a lot of people been willing to say that we were overreacting? Yes. Um, And now with the Trump administration, you have... Things like, you know, multiple domestic abusers being hired, a rapist in the White House, a rapist in the Supreme Court. You've got them actively plotting against uh, female State Department employees, like the ambassador to Ukraine, for example. Um, And, you know, just innumerable comments like I don't know if you've seen some of the comments that Trump made to Kirsten Nielsen, who (sighs) I am not a huge uh, fan of, obviously, but regardless you know saying things like honey you just yeah. don't get it um sweetie like just mm-hmm. make it happen um comments that um the uh, I, f- I forget the guy's name um the chief of staff you know sort of routinely said that he didn't think women were cut out for jobs in the white <laughs> house uh, didn't have the temperament for it mm-hmm. um Seeing the type of women who do find success in that administration is sort of a mirror into the ways that that women have experience success in in life. Mm-hmm. So, um, there were some women in that administration, most of whom did not last. Many of whom have maybe lasted only because they've stayed quiet. Who were who showed genuine strength, veracity um, of character. Um, competency and a a willingness to stand against things that they um, saw as problematic most of them were done away with Mm -hmm. fairly quickly Um, and the women who have remained are women who are almost unilaterally willing to prop up the misogyny of the men that they work for and they yeah (laughs) and they are simultaneously exalted by the right as being successful women Uh, and as proof that women can be successful so it's like this this really shitty gaslighting that's like well look I mean you know look at uh look at this press secretary she's doing great she's like one of the most powerful roles in America how can you say that Mm -hmm. that women aren't successful Kellyanne Conway was the first woman to run a successful presidential campaign I mean and, and it was totally unexpected and she pulled it out of nowhere isn't that amazing um, and so how can you say that women are discriminated against? And it's kind of like, well, if you're, if you're going to dance the dance, mm-hmm. you can be successful. I'm asking f- for the opportunity to be successful without placating you. Yeah. Um, And that's not available to me yet. Um, and so, you know, it's it's a really shitty form of gaslighting, a very Candace Owens style yeah. of gaslighting that's like, but, like, you can't say that this doesn't just because I'm willing to stand here and say that, that, you know, Republicans aren't racist and I'm a person of color. It's like, yeah, but, like, really? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, you're definitely not speaking on behalf of the majority here. And mm-hmm. the reason that you've been accepted by these people is not because they're not racist. It's because you're willing to say they're not racist.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's so frustrating, you know, and I want to go back to what you're saying. It's like, obviously, this was the the worst case scenario uh, for women. So I, I would certainly, like I said, I would prefer Hillary Clinton. And I was concerned, actually. I thought if Hillary becomes president, and I think that same could be said for if, if a woman wins the presidency, uh, spe- specifically a Democratic woman in 2020, I fear that that might... Get in the way of ratifying ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment. Not that I don't want a woman president. I absolutely do. But I can already hear the arguments. Well, we've got a woman president, so you know, women are equal. And it's like, well, no, it's not that. It's not that simple. Um, it goes back to nuance again and discrimination. Just because we have a female president doesn't mean that the discrimination is going to be gone. It's still going to be there. But um, all that said, I feel like uh, I, th- the positive that I can see is. Um, Number one, and, and this wasn't necessarily Trump, but with the Me Too movement, um, that you know, I'm sure Trump had something to do with it. Like as a as somebody who was a blogger and who was a feminist blogger starting in twenty twelve, when he was inaugurated, I kind of lost my mojo I didn't even know I never talked about feminist issues uh, even though they were happening even though things were still going on and, and and it was getting worse I didn't even know what to say I was stunned and I felt punched in the gut and I didn't I just didn't even know what to write about I mean I still had my opinions but I was pushed back a little and I didn't know and then and then the w- Harvey Weinstein thing broke and me too broke and I kind of found that okay okay you know I'm back and I'm 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 feminist and I'm going to talk about it and um but what I what I'm hoping for is if if there is some kind of you know light at at the end of the tunnel with women and women's rights is that younger women are going to you know younger women often just I mean I was when I was young I wasn't paying attention I was a feminist Um, I believed in equality and I was outspoken, but I wasn't political. And so I'm hoping that maybe more people, you know, male and female, but specifically young women, because there's so many, there's more women in this country than there are men. Um, Just a little bit, but there are, we can decide elections. And I'm hoping that maybe more women have paid attention to the patriarchy and paid attention to what has been taken away from them. Because often when we're comfortable, we don't do anything. We don't move when we're uncomfortable. We say, Oh yeah. And then, and then we move. So again, it's not like, Oh great. Trump's president. That's going to help women, you know, realize all the patriarchy that's going on. But since he is, and since he's there and since Trumpism, because it's just beyond, it's beyond Trump. It's Trumpism. Um, When he's gone, we still have to fight Trumpism. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't. I mean, it's like instead of calling it like cons- conservatism, it's more like Trumpism. So I'm just like hopeful that more people are, you know, waking up to this. Sadly, there's still, yeah. you know, there's still going to be the the young girls who listen to chicks on the right because you know they make these arguments that sound reasonable if you don't think beyond what they're saying. Just like mm-hmm. you know, Christina Hoff Summers. It's like, well, that sounds reasonable. It's it's not because when you pick it apart, you know, it's like, what rights do you have that I don't? Well, that's right. I can vote. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm equal to men. No, it doesn't go that way. So I'm like, that's the only thing that I can think is that maybe, maybe this, this wretched experience that we're going through will help wake some people up. male and female, Even though some of them are indoctrinated, indoctrinated into the Trumpism way of thinking. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's
1: true that, I mean, there was a, there was two kind of parallels um, that you brought up there that I thought were good. Um, I think a lot of people did feel very discouraged after Trump was elected. Um, I think that the sense that the feeling of that is one where you say, I really thought you guys were on board with this, Mm -hmm. right? Like we all agreed that people deserve, you know, equal individual rights. And I thought everyone was, was on the same page here. And all of a sudden I'm realizing that not only were we not on the same page, but there are a lot more people who actively don't believe that than I thought. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I can remember thinking, gosh, in the past I've known friends or neighbors or coworkers of mine who were republicans or didn't, didn't share my same passion for political action and I was willing to accept that and now I'm beginning to wonder what that means about them as a person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um you know and and how sort of debasing that was to see people like for instance, you know, my old boss who I respected a lot um support trump i was kind of like do i know you at yeah. all like do you care about me like mm-hmm. do you care about what happens to me at all um and so that's a very debasing feeling it's very it makes you feel very isolated um and anytime people say to you like sit down right? <laughs> it doesn't doesn't feel good um it can be motivating but it can also be very defeating mm-hmm. and especially when you feel like you don't have any recourse um, and this, the parallel that you drew with the rise of Me Too, I think, is really important for us to consider and remember, because you know, Toronto Burke started Me Too um, as a movement, and, you know, originally was a movement of Black women who were coming forward saying, um, you know, yes, absolutely, the, the character of it was the way that they were being treated by people who had authority over them, typically in forms of abuse, often, you know, sexual harassment, assault, you um, were the characters characteristics of of the types of things that were coming forward but the point that they were making it was you know there's an intersection between um the ways that as as an oppressed class on two fronts um we're constantly battling against this abuse and how the abuse itself is part of a system of oppression um and that was the point that that they were at our making and i think Me Too became much more popularized when white women signed on. Mm -hmm. Um, And by signed on, I mean that a lot of us expressed um, same or similar experiences, you know, outside of not also experiencing simultaneous racism. And um, it's really important for us to see how we were in a moment of feeling like we didn't have anyone on our side Mm -hmm. anymore. And we didn't have People who were listening, we were being told to sit down. We were being told, well, you you've tried, but you've been beaten again by the institution. And it was this movement of black women who were like, no, no, we're still here. And, and actually, like, we have been feeling vested by the institution over and over again, like in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we get how you feel right now. <laughs> and this might be new for you. Um, but it's not new for us, Mm -hmm. but like, come on board. Right. And, um, you know, the, the debt of gratitude that I feel to the willingness of those women to share their, their movement with us and then how much more powerful it became, um, when we came together on it. And, um, I think it should be a lesson to us that when you include all different types of women, all different types of discrimination, in the movement, it, it makes you so much stronger, so many more voices. Um, and it's so important to consider that if Hillary Clinton had been elected, um, and me too, was not, you know, ultimately popularized as much as it had been, would those black women have been listened to Mm -hmm. by us? Yeah. Um, and so I think, if there is a silver lining, it's that, you know, we were made to feel um, alone enough to realize that our experience was one that was pretty well understood by mm-hmm. a lot of people that maybe we weren't including yeah. as much as we should. And and I'm hopeful that people won't forget that um, as we, I'm hoping, inevitably come out of the Trump era.
0: Hmm. Well, of course, that was well said because you're so freaking smart and I I always appreciate your your mind I I love the way you think and the fact that I mean you're 20 years younger than I am so you know I like I I am that kind of jaded gen x woman and um I mean I'm hopeful I I guess in in some cases I I think I can be somewhat Pollyanna-ish because I do think that we can evolve and and I think that um I don't know I I like I believe in the good even though we're in Well, listen the movement is
1: is in desperate need of people like you, really, like to, <laughs> to counteract people like me who are like, this is fucking, like, I'm done. Like, I'm so tired of this shit. Um, burn it down, you know, because I think, as if you can relate anything to your personal life, it's like when you're fighting against something over and over again, you're going to get to a point where you're like, is this, like, is it better for me to just burn it down? Like, should I just burn these British? Should I just, you know, say fuck it? Um, should I, should I keep? Fighting this fighter, should I just let it go? Um, am I, is it too much emotional and mental energy being invested um, for me to continue? Mm-hmm. Um, especially for me, because I, I'm sort of uh, a good friend of mine characterized it as the worried well. Like I oh. sort of feel like borderline <laughs> yeah. mentally ill all the time because I just can't stop thinking about right. the implications of everything. Yeah, and it's important to have people who can say, who can provide clarity in those moments and say, you're right, it does suck, but like, we're just going to keep doing this. So like, come with me. Let's go. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I've always, (laughs) I've always
0: been, you know, they're called social justice warriors, but you know, I've always been Um, somebody, like for instance, and I, we're going to close in just a second, but I had a friend, um, she's still my friend, but I don't see her anymore because she lives in Los Angeles and I live in Maryland and I miss LA. Anyway, so uh, she went through this divorce. She had five kids and she was struggling financially. I helped her when I could, but like I couldn't support her. And uh, my mother had suggested because interestingly, she's a born again Christian and I am not religious at all. And, and, and we were able to get along because she never tried to force her religion on me. We could actually we could talk about it and we could disagree about it and she would tell me straight up, you know, I would say I know you think I'm going to hell, and she would laugh as if I'm going to hell, and I would just laugh and go, "I don't believe in hell, so I don't care." But like we didn't offend each other. Good thing it doesn't exist. <laughs> so it's like, but we, you know, she could respect the fact that I felt differently, and she didn't try to push her beliefs onto me. I didn't try to push mine onto her. But anyway, so uh-huh. she had a church that she went to often, and my mother said, because my mother was raised Catholic, and I've never gone to church. I was never a church person, but um, I wasn't raised raised with any religion. But my mother said, you know. Sometimes the church will help people who are in need. So uh, she said, you know, I, I said, why don't you go to your pastor? And so she did and didn't get any help. Well, I got pissed. I'm like, give me give me that pastor's number. So I, <laughs> I, I literally called the guy and chewed him out for like an hour. And he, and he couldn't hang up on me because I mean, I wasn't being profane or mean. I was just like, trying to try it Pastor. Yeah. I was like shaming him. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I've done that in so many cases, like in my, in my uh, speech class, when I was a teenager, I would find some kind of a, a topic that I felt that, you know, people were wronged and I, and I would fight for them. So I've always been on that, you know, we have to fight for each other and I've always been fierce uh-huh. and p- passionate about it. And so I'm grateful that I have an opportunity to, to do this on my podcast and, you know, and I love talking to you because you you have such a clear cut perspective and you bring to me you you often teach me things and you often help me see it from a different point of view because I am of that generation where we were just, you know, we were the jaded Gen Xers. And so, you know, we, we accepted crude behavior. We accepted Uh certain kinds of sexist behavior. And, 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 you know, there's a whole subject that I want to talk to you about, and I don't even want to give it away. I didn't bring it up in this one because I wanted to get to some of the questions that people asked us, but it's, it's a whole subject that I'll get to you the next time you're on the show. Um, but anyway, I I know that you got to go do your lawyer thing. So, um, I appreciate. Well, I,
1: I do want to say one thing, which <laughs> sure. I think is, um, you know, kind of in line with everything that everything that we've talked about today, really. Um, and, you know, I, of course, I always love being on. I'm looking forward to our next chat uh, probably in about a month. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to say uh, in line with everything that we've talked about and also a lot of of what I've been seeing, uh, been very encouraged by, in some cases discouraged by um, in the discourse that, that surrounds me on a daily basis in my worried wellness, um, mm-hmm. is I think that if we could all do a little bit better providing backup for each mm-hmm. other,
0: yeah.
1: um, we would be in a better, so, some of us who I think, I think in any group of, of people, each person is going to feel, uh, disenfranchised at, at one point, maybe not at the same point as someone else, mm-hmm. and if each time that happens, someone else in the group can be this su- carry the weight, be the support system, and then next time it's it's the it's the next person's turn. Yeah, um, it keeps the movement consistently strong mm-hmm. instead of these sort of like waxing and waning phases that we've seen in feminism, you know, over time, and. Um, you know, this applies to women supporting women, you know, putting aside the idea that you always have to support women because you shouldn't support women who harm other women for the record, um, or men for that matter. Mm Um, and, but, but also in the, the classic and ongoing question that I get from men of how can I contribute, Mm -hmm. um, meaningfully without speaking over you. Um, the number one thing I would say is just to provide backup. Um, you know, it's so often that people say, um, that doesn't happen. You're wrong about that. Mm -hmm. That's not a real thing. You're making that up or you're exaggerating. It's not a real problem. Um, and it's so important to have men who are willing to say, no, that's a thing. Um, no, that, that men do that. Or yes, I've seen that happen.
0: Yeah.
1: I believe you. Um, it, because, you know, in line with how we felt after Trump was elected, um, in line with some of the, uh, concerns that people might have about someone like Elizabeth Warren or, or, um, you know, in line with the support that black women showed us in the Me Too movement, it, it's like, if, if you have backup, um, you're so much more confident, you're so yeah. much more willing to move forward and, and people like you, who show enthusiasm and encourage people like me who are sort of consummately cynical. (laughs) It's all important. Um, And I just, I've been really encouraged um, by a lot of the support that I've seen lately and really discouraged, but in some ways by, Mm -hmm. by people who have not um, taken a stance against certain things. So um, that would be sort of my closing remarks is, is if, if there's anything that you do to contribute to the movement, contribute by supporting other people when you see them, uh, running into interference.
0: Absolutely. And that doesn't mean that you have to agree with every single thing they've ever said, but yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like back them up. And, and I'll just add to that. Jen Kirkman, who's a comedian, who's uh, awesome. And she's been on the show and I've seen her perform. Uh, one of the things that she said men can do is just don't say, Oh, I'm sorry. You went through that. I'm so sorry. You had to go through that. I'm so sorry. Uh We don't want your pity. It's like you said, we, we want your support. So if you don't fully understand it, listen, and, and open your mind to it and accept it. And, and, you know, I mean, it's not a scold it's just like, please, please listen to us. Please uh-huh. understand that, you know, a lot of times we didn't even realize, especially Gen X didn't even realize we were experiencing sexism. Only now I'm uh-huh. looking back and like, Oh my God, I, I was totally experiencing it. And I didn't even see it because patriarchy, I was like, it, it fooled me. So it's uh-huh. like, we're, we don't need your pity. We need your support. So absolutely. A hundred percent what you said and uh okay so i know you got to go to work um i'm going to close out the show after you go so thank you for being on once again i love having you
1: i love being here so good <laughs> good to talk to you always and i will catch you next time
0: all right you take care
1: thank you you too bye-bye Bye.
0: always nice to talk to em she's such a smart woman she's just she, I just love her perspective, as you know, because I, I don't want to like have this like going on and on about how much I love her. I, just, I really enjoy uh, hearing what she has to say. Now, that said, I, I kind of want to um, bring up the fact that I interviewed Joe Walsh, Republican... Um, primary Trump primary challenger Joe Walsh and for the most part all of you who uh, listened to or, or who are my patrons were very supportive and and had very supportive things to say because you actually took the time to listen to our conversation and you understood where I was coming from and where he was coming from Um, So I kind of want to address that right now really quickly before we go. Um, There were a few people on social media who did not listen to it and scolded me for amplifying his voice or for, I can't remember the words they used uh, as far as, you know, normalizing him. What I have to say about normalizing, number one, uh, when Kevin McCarthy is on 60 Minutes, they're not normalizing him nor are they endorsing him. They are simply showing the world what he has to say. In this particular case, it was last Sunday, and it was about the Ukraine. And he was unaware that Trump did that quid pro quo, quid pro quo though statement. <laughs> um, so when I, let me just give you a little background on A, what happened with, with Walsh and why I wanted him on the show. And I'll, I'll come clean now. And I couldn't come clean first because I needed to have him on and get it over with. Now that it's over with, I can say my goal initially was very selfish. My goal was that I wanted him to um, come on my show and say a bunch of shit about Trump that might get Trump's attention. And because at that point, he hadn't gotten Trump's attention when I first asked him to be on my show, which there was this whole back and forth for I don't even know how long, you know I kept mess he he messaged me and said that he would be on my show and then there was a back and forth and I was emailing him and I wasn't hearing back and I didn't know if he was ever going to be on and so during that time a little bit uh changed but initially when I first asked him on the show I didn't see him being effective I thought that you know he could say something maybe that would get Trump's attention this was before the Ukraine story and you know aside from him getting Trump to hit him as opposed to hitting a Democrat, I thought, oh, maybe my little podcast will get some notoriety. (laughs) So I had that little selfish thought. As time went on, I realized that that was not going to happen because I was listening to him on interviews, whether it was CNN or MSNBC. I also heard him on an interview on, um, uh, it was Reason with Matt Welch, and Matt is a libertarian. So the difference between the conversations of uh, MSNBC and CNN and the Reason one was that because he and Matt share political ideology. He was not the whipping boy, but he kind of was the whipping boy when he was on MSNBC, especially like David Jolly was just smacking him around with, you're a racist. Why should we ever trust you? And everybody did. Everybody pointed out, Chris Matthews pointed out that he said all kinds of racist things and and they were making him defend his point of view. And so I understood that the guy said racist things. I understood that he said shitty fucking horrible things time after time after time after time, so much that I couldn't fucking stand him. And I blocked him on my Twitter, uh, on, on Twitter. Uh, I only unblocked him, as I told him, because he was running for president. And I thought, oh, this asshole can go stand toe to toe with Trump because Trump is an asshole. So we got two assholes here and he can do more damage to Trump than a, than a Democrat can because he can be an asshole. And so I was really hopeful that, you know, he was going to pull out his ass. But he was like, instead, he's beyond these shows. He's like, I'm not a racist. And I know I said things that were wrong. And he was, he was on his apology tour. So, uh, and and he was basically like, go ahead and hit me. I can take it. And, and so I guess what's happening with Walsh is he's desperately trying to convince everybody. I get it. I know that I said shitty things. Uh, let me just run for president and and prove to you that I, I can't stand this guy. So, you know, by the time we finally figured out Uh, a date for him to be on and all that, I had finally concluded that he was never a going to see anything that was going to, you know, pop and and get, you know, any kind of media attention on my podcast. I didn't think that was going to happen. And, and I, and the most I could say was I thought he still wasn't effective. I specifically said to him, um, you know, your website is like, hi, I'm Joe, I hate Trump, send me money. And that there are people out there who are skeptical of, uh, you know, his motivations, and think maybe he's just doing this for attention and and all of that. And and you know, and my whole thing on Joe Walsh, just to be very very clear. He was very friendly on my show. He was extremely friendly before we started the show, and he made sure to tell me that I could ask him anything. He was like Kimberly, whatever you want. I'm game. And so he was a very cordial interview, and I very much appreciated it. And we were friendly to each other while we were on the show. My opinion of him is different than, um, like in my overall opinion, is different than, let's say, the way we behaved toward each other. Because I think he said things that were awful. You know, I mean, he went after the Sandy Hook students for being partisan. Awful. But I am able to put all of the whether it's sexism, racism, misogyny, all of that, I can put all of that aside for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's never going to win. And I know that he knows that. He says that's his goal. Of course, he's got to say it. He's running for president. But he knows he's not going to win. And number two, as I pointed out to him, just like the the elections in 1976, you had – you had Gerald Ford as the incumbent, and Ronald Reagan primaried him. Both are Republican, and Ford lost. Now, I don't think Reagan was the only reason Ford lost, but certainly it hurt him in the general. And then you go to 80, and you had Carter as president, and uh, Ted Kennedy primaried him. Both Democrats and Carter lost. Again, I don't think Ted Kennedy was the only reason, but you know he hurt him. And so that's what Joe Walsh can do. He can hurt Trump. The fact that he's a racist, the fact that he's, he, he's, he's been sexist and awful, Oh, uh, you know what? I don't like it. I don't like that. And, and I do hope that he was sincere when he said that Trump made him change the way he looks at politics and does politics because maybe he will evolve and maybe he's only going to evolve to being a more uh, palatable conservative. And if that's the case, great for him. But I don't really give a shit, you know, how, how uh, racist he is or discriminatory or any of that if he can hurt Trump's chances because he is not going to make it. He's not going to win. He's not going to be the 2020 candidate. But what he can do is he can weaken Trump if Trump is the nominee, if Trump doesn't resign or whatever the fuck's going to happen to him up until, you know, it's time to decide. So I, I a, want to appreciate, I mean, I, I, appreciate the, the patrons who listened and took the time to listen and, and then decided on how to respond. And, you know, and, and it's so frustrating out there to see people scolding me as if I was, you know, promoting him or endorsing him. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm an, I'm interviewing people. And it was a coup for me to get a presidential candidate on my podcast. So, um, there you go. There's my rant about Joe Walsh. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all my patrons. I appreciate you so much. And once again, if you like the show, if you had fun listening to M, um, just sign up for a dollar. You know, you get every show in your email box, and maybe you'll like it even more than you thought, and then you can sign up later for a higher amount. That's up to you. But um, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at author Kimberly K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y, and leave comments we love your comments 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 all over the freaking place we love your comments and then we will see you uh, let's see next and I hope I say his name right I'm gonna have to find out how to say it but it's his name is Carrie Pennebaker and I'm gonna be interviewing him oh it's just it's a it's a story with him his um, he's a, a an activist for common sense gun legislation I know that he's I think he sits on the board of mom's demand but his story is quite tragic his his mother, um, committed suicide when he was just a baby. And God, I read his tweets sometimes and I I like sob. I, I can't imagine what it's like for him. But he's such a positive force and he's such a good man. And so I'm going to talk to him next Wednesday. And then I'm also going to be talking on, on October 11th, uh, which is the anniversary of the date that I lost my uh, one-year anniversary, that I lost my thriving Facebook page, which was verified and huge. Is October 11th. But anyway, on that day, I'm going to bring back David Weissman. We're going to have a quick chat. He's the guy I've talked to him before, but he is the uh, ex-Trump supporter, ex-MAGA, who has turned into a full-on liberal Democrat and is supporting Elizabeth Warren. So we're going to have fun talking to him. And uh, just once again, thank you for being a patron. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time.